Amen. How are we doing, Salt Company? I feel like we just said that, but I feel like it's obligatory to say it again. So how are we doing? All right. Sweet. All right. Perfect. So like Jordan said, my name is Danny. I know a lot of you. A lot of you guys know me. Uh, But if we haven't met before, like Jordan said, I usually get like the awesome privilege of getting to lead you guys in worship and sing with you guys. Tonight doing something a little different, right? I have the incredible privilege of opening up God's word with you. I'm not going to lie, like I'm usually a little more comfortable behind a guitar than behind like notes and stuff, but I'm really excited to teach uh, tonight. And just to really quick reintroduce where we are, uh, we are in a series called Holy Habits. And what we're kind of doing in this series is that we're basically answering this question, that what are the practices of God that he calls us to that lead to us enjoying him more and experiencing his grace in our lives? And I love that idea. I love this idea of holy habits because here's the reality, right? We all have different identities in our lives. Like maybe it's an identity as a runner or maybe it's an identity as a student, but whatever it is, We all know like what practices and disciplines we need to practice to thrive in those identities, right? Like take it from me, like if you want to be a runner, you shouldn't eat like more Big Macs than vegetables and you should make sure you don't just run when people, when you're late to something, right? Like that's kind of me. People who know me know I love McDonald's a lot. I could not be a runner, right? Um, It's just true. But secondly, like, it's like, if that's true of our secondary identities, that we know what practices we need to chase to thrive in them, like, how much more should that be true of us as Christians, of our identity as children of God, right? And so what I want to remind you guys of tonight as we continue in this series is that, like, these holy habits, they aren't restraints. They're actually, like, good invitations to experience the goodness of God more deeply, all right? So I'm really excited to talk about this holy habit of worship today. Before we really dig in, though, I kind of want to start with a thought exercise, all right? So I want you guys to stop for a second, and I want you to think about an area in your life where you remember just feeling completely burnt out and dry. Think about an area in your life where you're like, man, I remember running on fumes and I felt like I couldn't make it to the finish line. Maybe for some of you, it's like a job where you were working crazy hours, didn't feel like you could finish it. Maybe for some of you guys, it was like a season of your sport when you were like, man, I still have a month left and I don't know how I'm going to push through. Again, definitely not me, but maybe some of you guys might have experienced that. Uh, For me, it's finishing my school degree. Are there any students out here? Let me see if I can raise a hand. Quite a few of you. Are any of you guys feeling burnt out by this point in the semester? Yeah, okay, good. I was worried there's gonna be silence. I was like, there's something wrong with me. But like, I have three credit or three classes left. I wish it was three credits, but three classes left till I'm done with my degree. And guys, I'm feeling dry. Like I was excited to start. I, I was excited to learn more and I still wanna be thankful for that. But I've gotten to a point where I feel like I'm kind of going through the motions. I'm checking the boxes, but I feel like I'm running out of gas quickly, right? And so we all have that feeling, though, of something in our life where we remember losing like that warmth, that energy, that joy towards something that we used to love. And now that you guys thought about that, I want to take it a step further and kind of ask you to consider this. Have you ever felt that way in your relationship with God? Have you ever felt like in your walk with God, 
you're a little burnt out. Like you're a little dry. Maybe you're like, man, when I started coming to Salt Company and I learned about the gospel, it felt like my heart was just like on fire. And now I don't know where I lost that, but somewhere along the way, now I'm just kind of taking the steps I know I need to take. I'm walking through the motions, but the warmth isn't there. The joy isn't there. I, and I wonder if some of you guys, by the end of this semester, can actually kind of relate to that a little. And I'm sure, like I know I can, I'm sure many of us have felt that way before. And my guess is there's more than a few people in the room who have felt burnt out that do feel burnt out. Or if you haven't felt either of those two things, I promise you will in the future, guys. Because part of the Christian life sometimes, it's being faithful to God even when we're struggling to feel what we believe. Um, and so what I want to help us figure out tonight, my burden for us and for you, is to kind of figure this out tonight. How do we hold on to a living faith when we feel like we're spiritually dry? How do we hold on to a living and active, like a vibrant faith when we feel like we're spiritually dry? Like, is there something that can help us fight to still love and experience God when we feel like we're out of gas? And of course, every holy habit definitely plays a part in that. But I believe that this habit of worship we're looking at tonight, what I'm so excited about, why I love worshiping, why that's like my job here, is because I think worship, this habit of worship, can be an incredible guide that can actually take us by the hand and lead us back to this living, active faith in God, even when we feel like we're spiritually dry. So we're going to start by kind of diving into our text tonight to learn more about what I mean when I'm talking about worship. Then we're going to learn how it revives our faith and how we can practice it, all right? So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 63. It's about a little less than halfway through your Bibles, Psalm 63. Um, and once you get there, I will start reading. I'll give you just a second. This is a Psalm of David who wrote most of the Psalms in uh, the book of Psalms, and this is what he says. We're just going to start with verse one, all right? This is what he says in verse one, and, the, and it should be on the screen as well. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And we're going to stop there just for a second, because before we move on, I think it's really important to understand how this verse sets up for us David's situation physically and spiritually. Because here's what's going on. Most Bible scholars, they think that David wrote this psalm when he was in the wilderness from Judea and actually on the run from either King Saul, who was trying to kill him so he could still be king, or from David's son, who was actually trying to kill him to take the throne. And so David was actually literally in a desert, right? And not only was he in a desert, he was feeling isolated, he was feeling betrayed, and he was feeling far from his home, from the people of God. And so when we understand that, it's a little easier to understand why when we find David in this first verse, he's also in a spiritual wilderness as well, right? He's seeking God desperately. He says, God, earnestly I seek you. But his soul is like thirsting for God. It's parched. It's like his soul needs God like your throat would need water after being in the desert for days. And so he's dry beyond belief, needing to taste God's goodness again. And I, I, we're going to keep moving on. But I, as I was thinking and praying about this, I just felt like I wanted to tell you guys uh, just a brief note of encouragement that if that's ever how you felt, like you're thirsting for God, but you feel isolated, like you're in a wilderness— 
I want you to know that you don't need to feel shame about that, okay? Number one, David did. But also, second of all, the, the fact that you are experiencing the pain of feeling like you're in spiritually a dry season is actually proof of your love for God, right? That you need him, that you want him. People who don't love or want God wouldn't even recognize their need for him. So I just wanna encourage you guys that if that's the season you find yourself in, you're in good company here, all right? But we're gonna continue on and we're actually gonna see what David does to fight against the spiritual wilderness he's found himself in. We're gonna come back to verse two, but we're gonna jump to verse three and four. So read with me there. This is what David says. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So David fights against the spiritual wilderness by worshiping God. And like we talked about already, that's the holy habit we're gonna be exploring tonight, this holy habit of worship that David lays out for us in Psalm 63. But before we continue on, I just wanna like get, make sure we're all on the same page of what I mean when I'm talking about worship and what we mean when we're talking about this holy habit of worship. Because sometimes people can use the word worship to mean some different things that are found in the Bible and they're all good things. We just need to make sure when we're talking about this discipline of worship, we're all talking about the same thing and we're on the same page, all right? So I just wanna lay out for you guys a few ways worship is used in the Bible and then what we're talking about tonight when we talk about the discipline of worship. So first, sometimes when people talk about worship, they are kind of talking about living all of life to God's glory. Like every part of our lives is an act of worship to God, right? And most people kind of get that from Romans 12. That should be on the screen here, Romans 12, 1. Uh, and if not, I can pull it up here. But it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul's basically saying, hey, just like Israel would offer pure animal sacrifices to God, offer yourself as a pure sacrifice. Offer all of you into the worship of God. Give 100% of who you are to God's worship. Every part of your life should be living to serve and obey God. And that is a great thing to remember. What we're talking about tonight, though, is something a little narrower than that. We're talking about a specific discipline, right? A practice of worship. And so this is good to remember and good to practice but we're talking about something a little narrower tonight. Sometimes, also when people talk about worship, they can be referring to just a whole church service. Like, I don't know, have any of you guys ever heard someone like refer to a church service as a worship service before? Like, come worship with us, come to our worship service, right? Yeah, and so what they're communicating there is also something good, that actually hearing God's word, like what we're doing right now, that's an act of worship too. Like praying with God's people is worship. Taking the Lord's Supper is worship. And that's good and we need to remember that. But again, we're talking about something a little narrower tonight. And what we're talking about tonight, guys, when we talk about worship is what David is doing right here in this psalm. When we're talking about worship, we're talking about the act of praising God through our singing and through the actions of our bodies because that is what David is doing here. Like what we just did before I got on stage of singing to God, lifting our hands to him, that's what David is doing. His lips are praising God and in God's name, he's lifting up his hands. That's the habit of worship we're exploring tonight. This discipline of praising God with our voices and our bodies. But the interesting question you might wanna ask once you read these first few verses is actually like, 
why was this what David chose to combat his spiritual dryness? Why, when David was feeling parched, did he run to the worship of God, of singing and lifting his hands? Like, oftentimes, if you're anything like me, when you're in a dry season, you think of a lot of different solutions before singing to God and lifting your hands, like, comes to mind. Like, maybe you're thinking, oh, man, I just need more sleep, or, like, I need a day, like, uh, away from people, or, oh, I just need to clean myself up and feel better, then I'll be able to, whatever, like, uh, come out of this season that I feel like I'm in. Those things aren't bad things, but we think of those things often first before worshiping God. And I think the reason that David jumped to the worship of God is that he knew some things about worship that a lot of us are tempted to forget. So I want to spend the rest of our time together, guys, talking about two things that David knew about worship that we should pay attention to and pursue in our lives, all right? And so the first thing David knew is this, and I'm going to explain this. David knew that worship is the way our hearts were made to experience God's goodness. David knew that worship is the way our hearts were made to experience God's goodness. And when I'm talking about God's goodness, I'm talking like the glory and beauty of God, like his attributes, praising God and experiencing his love, his forgiveness, his holiness, like the satisfaction of knowing God. And actually, David knew that worship is the way our hearts experience that goodness of God, that he is all satisfying. And to understand this, guys, we just need to kind of dive for a few minutes into the relationship between worship and our hearts to understand why David worshiped like this. And first, guys, our hearts experience God's goodness through worship because music is one of the quickest ways to our emotions, feelings, and loves, right? I don't know if we always think about that, But music is one of the quickest keys that unlocks true feeling in our hearts. Things that we might know in our head, but suddenly experience in our souls and in our bodies. And David knew this. Like, he wasn't just a king and a warrior. He was also a songwriter and a singer. And like, he seemed to think that writing songs and singing to God was important. Like, actually, this was written that we're reading right now as a song. And that's because David knew God created music for a purpose, to access our feelings and emotions in a way that moves beyond the head to our hearts. And actually, all of Scripture testifies to this, right? Like, there's a reason that the book with the most chapters in the Bible is a book of songs. There's a reason that every time the people of God experience God's glory throughout the pages of Scripture, they sing to God and they dance to Him. There's a reason God commands his people over and over again in the Bible to sing. And that's because God created music intentionally. Like he created music as a direct highway to our emotions and our souls. I love this quote from Jade Poole, who's a Christian serving in South Africa. And when I read this, it just like captured what what I'm trying to explain is she said this, music doesn't cause me to learn more intellectual truth. It helps me to align my emotions and my posture to that truth as I respond in tears and praise. It's as if music has the key to our heartstrings. Like, I love that. It's as if music, it's as if worship has the key to our heartstrings. I think the time that I realized this most clearly was actually when I was in a long-distance relationship with my wife. We were just dating back then, but she lived in Iowa City, 
I lived in Chicago, and I would only get to see her like every three weeks, and it was like one of the hardest things. Like every time I would leave after visiting her, like it felt like a part of me was withering away. And now I look back on that, I'm like that was probably an idol I should have taken care of, you know? But all that to say, like I felt like the pain of separation from her, and I felt that in my head, but you know when I like really experienced that in my heart, like in my soul? It's when I would start the long drive back home and I'd play music that reminded me of our like relationship and reminded me of her. And like that's when the tears would start to flow. When it sunk in what I was feeling, what I knew in my head was suddenly becoming experienced in my heart. And guys, through music, we actually begin to feel and experience what David is reminding himself of in this psalm. That's why it's so important that we worship, that as we sing, we start to experience that God's steadfast love is truly greater than life. Like I've had moments before, and I'm sure you guys have had too, where when you worship, it's like your priorities fall into their proper order, right? You see God in his, clearly, God in his glory more clearly, and you like start to think to yourself, like, how could I ever have forgotten this, right? How could I ever forget that God is all satisfying, that he's the one thing I need and that I should turn from other things to him? But then, you know, we leave from Sunday morning and go to our work weeks and we do forget, right? Or we leave salt on Thursday and as we go through the craziness of the weekend, we forget, right? And so that's one of the reasons we need to worship, that's one of the reasons God gave us music and calls us to worship him because what worship does is it fans this flame of delight in God that may have been flickering out. It helps it burn again in your hearts. There's another reason though our hearts were made to experience God's goodness through worship and that reason is this, that what we place our deepest focus on is often what we begin to love and delight in most deeply. Or to put it in a simpler way, I really, I don't know who started saying this. I don't know if it's original to someone here at Veritas, but I've heard it from different staff members and they say this, what gets your attention will get your affection. Right, what gets your attention gets your affection. Like think about it for a second. If all of your focus is on climbing the career ladder so you can get more money and you're thinking about what you're gonna do once you get there, what you're gonna buy once you get there, and your focus is all on that, what are you gonna love and delight in more than anything else? Money, right? Or for me, this is a little embarrassing to say, you know what like, I, I've had to spend a lot of attention on right now that I never thought I would? Like, looking at like houses, because my uh, wife and I are looking into home buying, into moving into Cedar Rapids, and here's the weird thing now, is I've spent way more time on like the Zillow like app than I ever thought I would, like looking at houses, but now when I'm driving, I actually notice and delight in something on my drive that I didn't used to before. I like look at houses that are beautiful and I notice them like I never did before. And I say things that I never thought I would say. I'm like, oh, I love how that house is like a farmhouse chic style, right? Yeah, okay, don't laugh, it's embarrassing. I'm bringing my heart to you. Or, or like, I, I, I'll drive and I'll be like, oh man, that Four Seasons room, like the, the way the windows are like from floor to ceiling will really let the light in, you know? Like, I'm genuinely guys scared to like look in the mirror because I'm like, if I look in the mirror, I'm scared like Joanna Gaines is gonna be staring back at me. <laughs> like, but, but guys, like think about what happened 
What my attention was on was on homes. And now more than anything, I notice homes. Like, uh, actually, I was driving Michael Rhodes' son, Jeremy, home once, and he was like, Danny, I think you've pointed out like 10 houses while we've been driving. And that's when I realized, like, there's something wrong with me. But all that to say, guys, is like, what we focus on most deeply is what our hearts begin to love and adore most deeply, right? Like, that's how our hearts were created. And so if we start to think about this in this psalm, like, what would have happened if David focused on his desire for revenge or his own strength instead of God, Right? Do you think his delight in God and his faith would have grown? But thankfully, David gives us an example here because he didn't do that. David knew what his heart needed was a fresh drink of God's goodness, and he did that by worshiping God, by focusing every part of him on to God, because he knew that what his heart focused on is what his heart would crave. Because worship is an opportunity for us to focus every part of us on the goodness and glory of God. Because as we do, we're gonna be so shocked and surprised by how God is faithful to shape our hearts. Like David knew, guys, our hearts were made to experience God's goodness through worship because music was what reaches our emotions and because what gets our attention gets our affection. And the fight of worship is to delight in God and to, to place all our attention onto him. There's something else David knew about worship though, Another reason why worship is the best way to fight against our spiritual wilderness. And if we look finally at verse two, like I promised you we would, we're gonna see what that reason is. So look with me at Psalm 63, verse two. It says this, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And so look what David is doing here. David is actually fighting his spiritual wilderness by remembering and longing for worship, not just by himself, but in God's place with God's people. One commentator put it like this. He said, David misses the experience of God in public worship. He misses God's special presence with his people, given and enjoyed in the sanctuary. Because part of what strengthened David here was remembering his worship of God with the people of God. And I think that's important for us because we focus a lot on individual worship between us and God, of just our private worship with God. And that is good. Like spend time throughout your week singing to God. Spend time worshiping him. Find pockets of your time to just be before God and praise him. Absolutely. Like I'm telling you do that. But what I also want you to remember is that you weren't just made to worship alone. You were designed to worship together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, other Christians. Nothing has changed since David's time, right? And Paul actually echoes this in Colossians 3, 16. This is what he says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, David and Paul knew that the worship of God and something about it that we forget sometimes. And it's this, that worship is actually how we remind each other of God's goodness when we're tempted to forget. Worship is how we remind each other of God's goodness when we're tempted to forget. I really try to think of a different analogy to make my point because I feel like it's like cliche for like pastors to use analogies from this story. But have you guys ever seen or read Lord of the Rings before? 
oh my goodness. For a second, I was like so scared that there's just like two of you because that those movies came out like 20 years ago and it's real a weird thing for me. But I might be showing like my nerd card a little bit. But the thing I jump to when I think about how we, how worship is how we remind each other of God's goodness, I think of that story and here's why, okay? I'll set it up for you because I knew some of you guys would not know, which is very sad. You should go like, watch Lord of the Rings and read it. It's great. It's a classic. But here's what's happening in that story. Frodo is this little hobbit who's like basically this little guy. And here's the thing. He's not strong outwardly, but he's got a strong heart. And he's tasked with this mission. It's to destroy a ring. It's to destroy this evil ring that would destroy the whole world if it was captured by the villain. Okay? And so he has to go on this perilous adventure. He has to pursue this dangerous mission and walk into like this heart of darkness. But the good news is that he isn't alone when he does that. He actually has a companion with him. He has a companion named Sam, yeah. And one of the coolest parts of this story is how these two people encourage each other throughout their journey and encourage each other when their like, faith is tempted to wane, when they're tempted to give into darkness, they're there for each other. And in like one of the most stirring parts in this story, like I cry every, maybe not every time, many times, like when this scene comes, is there's this part where, da- or where David, David too, but Frodo has almost given up. He's at the edge of what he can hold on to. And he actually says like, I don't think I can hold on anymore. And when he is almost in the season of just complete dryness and giving up, this is what Sam says. And I'm just gonna read a part of what he says to you because it's beautiful. He says this. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't even want to know the end. Because how could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, the shadow is only a passing thing. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Folks in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, but they didn't because they were holding on to something. There's good in this world, Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. That's beautiful, right? Like, but guys, Salt Company, some of us in this room like, feel like Frodo right now. We feel like we're burdened by the world and we feel like we're barely holding on. And when, we are, when our faith is dry, what we need is someone to sing and shout God's promises with their heart, with their voices. When you do that, you are actually being Sam to the other people in this room. You're helping carry the burdens of other people by declaring, I do believe God is good. Like, I do believe one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. I do believe he's worth pursuing more than anything. Because worship is the way we remind each other of God's goodness. So by worshiping with your heart, with your voice, with your body, like God could be using you to keep someone's faith alive without ever realizing it. That's a beautiful thing. So we worship because our hearts, it's how our hearts were made to experience God's goodness. And we worship because it's how we actually can share that goodness with others when we're tempted to forget. So Salt Company, we need to worship. I'm telling you, I'm just standing here that God's word is teaching us we need to worship because it's how we experience the goodness of God even in the driest seasons of our faith. We need to worship regardless of whatever we're feeling in the moment, regardless of what distractions that are swimming around in your head, regardless of whatever fears you might have of throwing yourself into the worship of God. 
Because if I could sum it up for us in just one sentence tonight, Salt, this is what I want us to remember, okay? When our faith is dry, worship is how we begin to delight in God again. When our faith is dry, worship is how we begin to delight in God again. Guys, worship is a lifeline. This holy habit of worship is a lifeline to a thriving faith. And I want to be careful because there's a difference between a thriving faith and like a naive or a fake happy faith, right? Because some of the times that I've actually been the closest to God are not when everything is going well or even when everything's going well within me. Some of the times I felt closest to God are when I'm struggling, but I'm still singing. Because worship isn't about seeking a life of faith apart from sorrow and weariness. Like I'm telling you, those things will come. But it's about seeking a faith that clings to God and delights in him even in the middle of the wilderness. That's the faith God is creating in us when we worship him with our voices, with our bodies, and with each other. When we worship God by lifting up our hands, by singing, what we are doing is delighting in God again. Because I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I didn't actually show you in one kind of last verse how Jesus himself poured himself into the worship of God actually right before he went to the cross because I think this is so cool. Look with me at these verses in the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 26, 30 through 32. It says, when they had sung a hymn, this is Jesus and the disciples, when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. See, Jesus was on this mission. He was on this mission of dying for the sins of his people and rising again. And Jesus actually knew that this very night he was going to be betrayed, arrested, and sentenced to death. But Jesus was on this mission. And what did he do? That night he sang. He worshiped God. And it's hard for me not to imagine that the worship of his father is part of what gave Jesus the joy and the strength to go to the cross for you and for me. Salkani, Jesus sang and delighted in God the Father when he was faced in the darkest wilderness. And I'm so glad he did because it was through his delight and obedience to God that you and I are here. You can have full assurance, 100% assurance that our sins are covered because Jesus paid it for us. Like that's something worth focusing on, right? That's something worth singing about and praising God for. We actually sing to a singing Savior who died for you and for me so we could live. And like, how could our faith not be stirred and refreshed by that example? So Saul, I wanna end by just giving you guys a few practical applications or tips or steps of how do we become worshipers of God? How do we delight in God with our worship? And the first one, guys, is when you feel overwhelmed or dry this week, run to God and worship as soon as you can. Like, if you're driving back from your job, listen and worship to God in your car. Or carry just a song in your heart that you love and sing it as you walk when you need to be reminded of God's goodness when you forget. Or take out your guitar and play it. Like, no one else might, like, they might not want to hear you, but if you're singing and worshiping to God, that's great, right? So take out your guitar, play it, and sing to God. Like when you feel overwhelmed, run to him and worship as soon as you can. Find those times when you can refresh yourself in the worship of God by singing to him. Second, guys, this is a big one. Don't neglect Sunday morning worship because we need it. And here's what I mean. Like going to church and worshiping on Sunday morning, it doesn't make you a Christian. You don't earn God's grace by going to church, right? But 
we do experience God's grace by worshiping with other believers on Sunday morning. People of all different economic places and age and just of whole different groups of people that have been brought together by Jesus that are singing about their faith in his promises, that will revive our hearts when we're dry. And guys, this is my plea to you to make room in your calendar to worship with the church Sunday morning. Like David longed for that. He thought that was important and it's important for us as well. And I just want you guys to hear my plea on that because I love Salt Company. I keep coming to Salt Company. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in the mission of Salt Company, but Salt Company is not church, right? It's an amazing ministry. Keep coming, but there is no like substitute for the worship of God on a Sunday morning. And then lastly, guys, the simplest one, but one I'm just excited for us to pursue even as we worship after this, sing out boldly with your mouth and with your heart. Some of us just need to be reminded to actually just sing out with our mouths. You know, we're maybe a little ashamed of our voices. You might not think you have the best voice. And if that's you, I have good news for you is that God doesn't command you to have a good voice, okay? God just commands you to use it. God doesn't command you to have a good voice. He just commands you to sing and to experience the goodness of God and then to share that goodness of God with others. So some of us just need to remember, worship God with our mouths, But if you're anything like me, you also need to remember to worship God with your heart. Like it's embarrassing for me to admit, but once in a while on a Sunday morning, I'll be standing and worshiping and I'll realize by the end of the song that my mind and my heart were a million miles somewhere else. And that's easy for us to do, but guys, if our hearts were meant to experience God's goodness in worship, we need to make sure that as we're singing, we're pouring our hearts into it. We're thinking about what we're singing. We're proclaiming that it's beautiful and remembering in our hearts that God is good. So sing with your mouth, but sing with your heart as well. And when all is said and done, Salt Company, like the reason I'm asking you to pursue this is not because it's just a hobby of mine, not just because I like music, but because it's the path to delighting in God, like even in the most barren deserts. It's through worship we begin to experience in our hearts the truths of the gospel we believe in our heads. And as we tonight praise God's goodness with our hearts, with our hands, with our voices, I think we'll begin to delight in God more deeply while helping others find delight in God again. So Saul Company, my heart for every one of you is that you would be a worshiper and you'd be a part of a worshiping community. And worship could be the way that God's gonna take your dry faith and revive it with his goodness again. So what I want us to do, guys, is I want us to pray, and then I just want us to throw ourselves into the worship of God with everything in us and expect God's spirit to work in our hearts to see him and to enjoy him again. Let's pray. God, we forget so often you are, that you are good. We forget so often that you are gracious, that you are the thing we need to seek above all else. We forget so often that you are more glorious than any other thing we could see in our lives. But God, that's why you gave us this gift of worship. That's why you gave us the gift of music, to sing to you, to lift up our hands, because it's a a life I do, remembering and experiencing the goodness of God. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that we get to be with other believers, God, worshiping. That's not something every Christian in every country can take for granted. So God, I just pray that we would use your gift, that we'd become better worshipers of you. Lord, let's raise our voices. My prayer is that we would raise our voices to you, proclaim your goodness, and God, please, 
I have no power to do it, but your spirit does. Would you be moving in our hearts and in the hearts of students to have a true experience of God's goodness and grace? And Lord, even in a dry season, even if they don't feel it, I pray we would pour worship in, out through both our voices and through our hearts, God. We love you so much, and ultimately, you are worthy of all worship. So I pray we would worship you now and forever. In your name, amen.